0: what's up everybody and welcome to the reluctant historian this is the podcast where i try to show my husband that history is actually cool i'm your host liz lawson and this is our reluctant historian
1: dakota lawson
0: on this podcast i'll tell him a story from history and he'll share his unapologetic thoughts and opinions so if you love history
1: or you absolutely hate it
0: this podcast is for you
1: what the hell was that <laughs> for you i'm
0: just letting them know that it's for them
1: oh okay yeah. well really this podcast is to serve my own ego so really it's for me <laughs>
0: that's fair that's fair all right so on today's shorty summer we will be talking about the history of dun, 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 dun. drum is...
1: please uh i have no idea <laughs> drag oh okay that's cool we were just talking about this so uh yeah, that's cool. We've been watching uh, Drag Queen lately. So
0: RuPaul's Drag Race, Drag Race,
1: Dr- Drag Race,
0: Drag <laughs> Race. What did I say? Drag Queen.
1: We've been watching Drag Queens lately.
0: <laughs> RuPaul's Drag Race.
1: Yes, RuPaul's yes. Drag Race, and it's uh, at first I was I was very hesitant because I, I just I not I had nothing against drag queens. I just don't didn't really like the show as, as a as a thing but i'm actually kind of getting into it and that's actually pretty entertaining and i really like dance for your life or no lip sync -sync sync for your for your life
0: yeah so sit down buckle up and get ready to listen to the history of drag like to begin by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement and recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. So before I get started, uh, again, just another disclaimer, I'm going to position myself and uh, probably Dakota as well as to how we relate. Um, neither of us are from the queer community. We are both um, cishet people. the hell is het? Uh, heteronormative. So we both like... There's always
1: these new terms that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so
0: okay. I like boys, and he likes girls, so we fit into that heteronormative vibe. Vibe?
1: Vibe. Yeah, it's just a vibe. dear. <laughs> Try <laughs> we, again. <laughs>
0: we fit into the heteronormative uh, title, I guess. Again, I'm trying not to take voice away from people who are in the queer community, so I would really encourage you to go to the links that I have posted about this topic um where you will hear actually Trixie Mattel is telling the story of drag um she is one of the competitors on RuPaul's Drag Race and yes so you can hear it from a queer voice so I'm not trying to again speak for the queer community here I am not queer but I am giving a little bit of history um from what I've discovered studying history all right so Dakota new
1: news news Sorry, I was trying to do it at the same time but <clears throat> okay new nudes uh, so uh, my new nude for today is Tucker Carlson everybody's favorite butthead from Fox News <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: I told you a little bit about this last night but uh, uh, this guy in Montana Tucker was buying uh, th- this is, he, for those who don't know Tucker Carlson spreads a lot of uh, vaccine misinformation and he's just a very angry man on fox news but um he recently was in a fishing store or something buying some bait and tackle or whatever the hell you buy when you're in those stores and a guy confronted him and was like hey you're the worst human in the world and um the tucker was very like he his persona from what he is on tv was very down like he was like was very quiet and wasn't doing anything, and like that's that's fine. Like he doesn't have to have to do that. But uh, what I what I want to talk about is like because it, it's not necessarily like good accosting people in public and stuff like that. Especially he was with his family, so that's not not great. But a lot of people from like Fox News and whatever are coming to his defense and being like like it's never okay to accost someone and come up to them in in public and like if you have different views on them and just to do that. But on April 24th of this year, Tucker Carlson told people that they should go up to people who are wearing masks in public and tell them that they shouldn't be wearing masks and basically just confront them and tell them that it makes them uncomfortable that they're wearing masks, making them feel, I would assume, extremely uncomfortable. So, uh, I don't know. That's just... (laughs) This guy... It drives me crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on it? Or,
0: um, yeah, I think uh, a lot of people who are on Fox News are a little bit hypocritical. So, I've seen some articles saying that while they espouse anti vax, you know, rhetoric, they in the background are all getting vaccinated. Or, I can't remember if I read that fox news was saying that people that work there had to be vaccinated so it's like you're pandering to your viewers and telling them what they want to hear but on the other hand doing um the complete opposite so they're kind of like the pigs in animal farm
1: i've never read it yes no, i no, owe- i no, i haven't read it <laughs>
0: <laughs> um yeah, basically, there's like these pigs, and they say do as I do, but not, or do as I say, but not as I do. So four legs good, two legs bad. It's basically the pigs take over this farmland, and they create all these rules for the farm animals, but the pigs get richer, and the animals get poorer. Um, and like I said, they t- they they pander. They say uh, one thing for the animal animal creatures, but the pigs can do the opposite
1: that does sound like fox news
0: that sounds like an interesting book also it is a good book it's really short i teach it in grade 12 it.
1: cool so yeah i definitely agree i think that uh uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they were actually also all getting vaccinated behind the scenes and uh, also the guy that confronted tucker brought forward the fact that uh well not fact he brought forward this thought that Tucker has been responsible for many people's deaths by misinformation. That's a good point. Uh, And I also looked up that uh, Tucker, every night, has uh, 3 million viewers. Wow. So he's, like, really popular. Yeah. And lots of people trust him on every word he says. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was vaccinated (laughs) and is going around telling people not to. Yeah. So the moral of the story is that he's a butthead. A butthead. So.
0: Um, another fun fact that, about Tucker Carlson is he just recently um, was talking about how we need to start taxing the rich and that the 1% shouldn't be able to have as much money as they do have. And I was like, wow, he's gone full circle. Yeah, Good job, buddy. That's <laughs> We're really proud surprising. of you. And, and Come if, to the
1: left. Well, it's uh, weird how he just... Honestly, because, like, again, I'm, I'm not super news guy, but I remember listening to him talk stuff about, like, Donald Trump and the... And the Trump days, if you will, and and, uh, I don't know if he supports Donald Trump or not because a lot of times he would criticize him and be angry everything he says is angry, so I'm like I don't know if you're in support of this guy or if you're just that's just your tone of voice is sounding angry so I actually have no idea what he really like because, again, if he's flipping on that, like, is he a flip-flopper?
0: Oh, probably. Yeah. It's, again, what do the people want to hear? And yeah. he's just going to say it angrily.
1: Y- yeah, exactly. Because I, I don't think, other than when in this Instagram video that I watched, that's the only time I've heard him talk softly. Mm, interesting. <laughs> so, anyways, there's my new nudes. Cool. I brought you nudes of Tucker Carlson. Gross! Leaked. <laughs> yeah.
0: What's your golden nugget?
1: Uh, yeah, I think this might be both of ours uh, this week. is, uh, We went... To a place called Big Muddy mm-hmm. Valley, if you will. Yes. And what was the the town we went to? Kornak? Yes. Kornak. So we went to a town called Kornak and we got to do a tour around these outlaw caves. Yes. And what did you think of that?
0: Oh, I thought it was great. I thought it was really interesting. You know that I'm a big geek for history. I yeah. was very excited to see everything. We went into the museum in Kornak and I just about lost my shit.
1: She did. It was like, it was the nerdiest thing I've ever seen. I was embarrassed. <laughs> They had this big board
0: up that had all of the quarters in Coronac and who uh, had owned those quarters. And I was just, like, super excited to see it because I really enjoy learning about that part of history and how people came in and got land and et cetera, et cetera. And it was just literally a piece of wood with names on it and i was (gasps) so fucking pumped
1: yeah you you sure were it was yeah it was cool i mean we got to uh shout out to our uh tour guide uh jillian she you know knew her stuff and like as we were driving along uh uh, the prairies and into the uh ravines Uh, coolies coolies uh you know she would give us stories about outlaws that lived in the area and uh yeah, it was a it was about a 4 hour tour. Um just uh, we drove around, went to these uh, outlaw like caves that they used to hide in and then uh what else what else did we see? We saw some Uh we
0: saw a ceremonial circle, a turtle effigy and a buffalo effigy.
1: Yeah, and it was just uh it was really it was really cool. So if you're in um Saskatchewan and uh Cor- Coronac, down by close to the border, um the Montana border. I, I would fully recommend it it was uh it was super cool
0: yeah and sometime this summer i'm actually going to do an episode about the saskatchewanian outlaws so we'll talk a little bit more about some of the stories that we heard on that podcast
1: yeah yeah
0: that was also uh, my golden nugget
1: yeah i was gonna say sorry i was like didn't pass the back to you but yeah that's your golden nugget too
0: yes and my lump of coal is that i could not climb castle butte
1: yeah um but i was very disappointed that's okay it was so Castle Butte is this giant uh, structure or mound of sandstone essentially that was left by the ice from the ice age and to you can climb up it but it's such a steep slope that even I was like having a little <laughs> little trouble getting up it
0: yeah ex- except after I was like no I don't think I can actually do this um, a two-year- old and like a four-year-old and then a pregnant lady all just scrambled up at like goats, and I was like, What's wrong with me? But I don't know. I just like I tried to climb up the first little bit and I just could not get my footing. And I am afraid of heights, and it I think I just I just couldn't do it. Yeah. And that's okay. You, I was very disappointed.
1: Yeah, but you recognized that you weren't able to, and I think it's better than doing it and then possibly hurting yourself. So
0: Yeah, or like what I think probably would have happened is on the way down, I would have looked down and be like nope and i would have had a panic attack and probably the the guy before
1: us said that going down was harder than going up yeah so So i just don't
0: think it would have been a positive experience no
1: right and my lump of coal is that i ate too much candy this weekend i got tummy ache and a headache last night
0: yeah you did yeah maybe that's why we're so grumpy today
1: don't we're don't let the listeners know that that we (laughs) we woke up grumpy we're on a podcast we're supposed to be cheery the whole time (laughs) truth
0: Okay, so the story of drag goes back much further than Rue and her queens and their takeover of popular culture. Drag began out of necessity. So I can't confirm the dates on this next fact. Some sources claim that drag began later, while others claim it began with William Shakespeare and Shakespearean theatre. Which is true. Women were not allowed to act on stage. Thus, men were required to put on petticoats and dresses and to look like women to perform the parts of characters like Juliet and Ophelia. In the late 16th and 17th centuries, theater and entertainment had strong links to the church, as did much of Elizabethan society, and with that came the rules that only men could tread upon the boards. So, when I teach Shakespeare, I've never seen any I've never seen any sources that say this is where drag came from, but also when I'm teaching his uh like Shakespeare, that's probably not the first thing that they're going to tell us. So, yeah. <laughs> it's quite possible. I mean, it is true that men dressed as women to portray the women. But I don't think that it's drag as we know it.
1: No, but would that be the starting point, though? Like I think that, so. Yeah, because that kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah. The word drag itself is believed to have theatrical origins, too. The dresses that men wore to play female characters would, in essence, drag upon the floor. Mm. This is a fact that Mama Rue does bring up in Season 7, Episode 3. And that episode, they do a Shakespearean-inspired, like, look and runway and acting challenge. And it's it was fun. Okay. So- yeah. It was so good.
1: Yeah, it was one of the seasons you just watched, isn't it? Yeah. yeah.
0: But like I said, actors playing female parts because women aren't allowed on stage is not the same spirit of what we call drag today. It soon became a way for men, often gay men, although heterosexual men also dress in drag, and women do too, it became a way for men to express a different side of themselves, over-exaggerating feminine looks, styles, and body language in order to create a persona or a character. As RuPaul himself says, there is more to drag than impersonating a woman, quote, I don't dress like a woman, I dress like a drag queen. On the flip side, drag kings are where female performers adopt an exaggerated male persona. Some drag queens may prefer to be referred to as she while in drag and desire to stay completely in character. Other performers, like RuPaul, seem to be indifferent to which pronoun is used to refer to them. In his words, you can call me he, you can call me she, you can call me Regis and Kathy Lee. (laughs) I don't care, just as long as you call me.
1: (laughs) That's that's pretty good.
0: And I think really it comes down to the person that you're talking to be respectful about what they want to be called. So if they want to be called a he or a she or a they, then you should respect that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I think it's cool that as someone who I really love, I loved acting when I was younger and still do. Uh, I think it's cool that they become this persona when they put on the clothes and it helps. I mean, we we watched an episode recently that was it took um a couple famous like influencers, and they had to drag queens on this uh, season had to dress them up and like, basically turn them into drag queens. And there was a couple of like, uh straight men like chester c which was a famous youtuber it was just interesting to see that they were really shy at first and then once you put on the um put on the drag it's like it lets out your like lets a different you, side of you yeah a different side of you and it just lets you be more mm-hmm. you know which is really cool and i'm sure it's helped a lot of people uh be their true self absolutely which is really cool
0: yeah so now on to the history The first person known to describe himself as the Queen of Drag was William Dorsey Swan, an American gay liberation activist. He was born into slavery and was the first person in the United States to lead a queer resistance group. He started hosting drag balls in Washington, D.C. in the 1880s, which were attended by other men who were formerly enslaved. These balls were often raided by the police and was documented in the newspapers at the time. In 1896, Swan was convicted and sentenced to 10 months in jail on the false charge of keeping a disorderly house, which was a euphemism for running a brothel. Moving on to the vaudeville shows of the late 1800s and early 1900s, which also contributed to the story of drag. Here is where America's main source of entertainment came together as comedians, ventriloquists, dancers, musicians, and more. And it is here where Julian Eltinge, one of the biggest stars of this time, found his success. He was known at the time as a female impersonator and would perform his shows dressed as a woman, to end by taking off his wig and revealing his gender to the often disbelief of the crowd.
1: Whoa, so it was just like the end of uh, the original Nintendo Metroid game, where you thought you were playing a dude in a suit the whole time, and at the end, takes off his helmet, boom, it's chick. What? (laughs) Yeah, it's like the other way, though. (laughs) (laughs) I've
0: never played it, but I'll take your word for it. Well, I just
1: think it's cool, it's like, because these people assumed that it was a woman, yeah? Yeah. So it's the, it's the same idea. It's yeah. like, it's, it, where it's like, it's like, oh, shit, cool. Totally. You know? Uh, he was hugely popular for more than 20
0: years and was very much on an upward trajectory until vaudeville and variety acts fell out of favor in the 1930s. At this time, drag was seen as something for the straight white male, and any deviation from this was punished.
1: It was seen for the straight white male?
0: Yeah, so only straight white males could perform in drag. God,
1: we already have so much. Why? <laughs> Why do we have to have this too? <laughs> well, straight white male be straight white male, I guess. <laughs> However, this part
0: of drag's history has led to an association with music, dance and comedy that still lasts today. Because in the vaudeville performances, they're doing lip-syncing, they're doing ventriloquism, they're mm-hmm. doing comedy sketches. So that, Dakota, I know you've asked me a couple times, like, why do they lip-sync? Why do they do comedy acts? It has its roots in these vaudeville uh, variety act performances. Okay. Oh, cool.
1: Because, yeah, it's, that's something uh, that I've constantly wondered. I'm like, how does stand-up comedy go with drag queen um That isn't... was that... That, that doesn't sound right, <laughs> drag queenism. Um, but whereas, like, in my head, it's like, well, fashion shows, that makes sense. But, yeah, that's good to know, though, that it comes from these vaudeville
0: thingies. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then we also have drag balls, which is where the fashion part comes in, which I'll get to oh, in a few moments okay, okay. here. In the early 1930s, because of the ties to sex work and homosexuality, which was illegal at this time, forced the drag shows to change forms and locations. The 30s were also known as the Prohibition Era, which was not only tied to secretive alcohol consumption, but also to gay culture. Many LGBTQ people used secret clubs and locations, which allowed them to be free to express themselves, and this became a tie to drag. The underground movement was called the Pansy Craze, which is a actual historical quote, Oh. and it's here where these drag queens really began to take on the form of drag that you may recognize today. Drag was performed in nightclubs where the people there were able to play with the boundaries of gender and sexuality, and it became a place for the LGBTQ community, and especially gay men, to feel accepted.
1: Cool. Uh, just one question. I, I must have missed that. What, what time period was this? around? 1930s. Oh, so long, long time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's cool. I didn't realize it was that long ago.
0: The danger and segregation of these bars at this time paved the way for drag balls. The first drag ball goes back as far as 1867 when both males and females at the Hamilton Lodge in Harlem dressed up and competed for awards for the best gown or best feminine figure. The drag ball tradition goes back to the 20s minus the voguing that we see today. They were often house parties where black queer people could come together. Eventually gay bars became less discriminated against and I use that term less discriminated against very loosely After the prohibition era. However, they were still targeted incessantly by police raids. These raids attempted to rid the bars of gay activity. Fun fact. The mafia. I'll be the
1: judge of that. Sorry, I I missed my cue. That was my cue, right? Yes. Okay. You just, you just moved on too quickly. I'll be the judge of that.
0: Fun fact. The mafia actually helped these clubs and the gay community in pursuing their self-expression free from discrimination. What? Much of the city nightlife was owned by the mafia, and as such, they both shared a dislike for law enforcement. And so they would allow them to perform in their clubs. That's really nice.
1: I have a different perspective of the mafia now.
0: (laughs) Drag balls continued, and in New York in the 1970s, they were immensely popular. These events involved owning the runway in the finest drag around in order to wow the judges and go home with a bunch of trophies. This is where the concept of a drag mother took hold. Season queens would take up-and-coming drag artists under their wing to show them how to work the stage as well as their look. They often provided a home to young people who might be going through a difficult time in their lives, and not just those intending to enter the drag world. This led to drag mothers becoming known as the head of their house, making them responsible for an entire drag family. Whatever the mother's surname, their drag protégés were allowed to adopt it or even have their stage name chosen for them by their mother. In the 1970s, there was also a rise in masculinity in gay culture, which did actually diminish the popularity of drag queens. But drag did find its way into popular culture. In John Waters' 1972 film Pink Flamingos, drag actor Divine scandalized audiences with her filthy character and became an icon along the way. Disco singer Sylvester sang hits like You Make Me Feel Mighty Real in drag to international acclaim. The Stonewall Riot of 1969 saw drag queens, most notably Marsha P. Johnson, who is actually a transgender woman, protest against police raids on gay bars in New York City and led to the creation of the Gay Liberation Front. The fight for acceptance and equality grew in profile over the nineteen seventies and eighties, with Harvey Milk becoming the first openly gay man to be voted into public office in San Francisco in nineteen seventy seven. Oh yeah,
1: there was that movie with uh who was it? That guy. I know I can like Sean see him in- Penn. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I
0: can see him in my head.
1: Yeah. I've never seen it, have you? No. Okay. We should watch it. I've I've heard it's great.
0: Yeah. In the nineteen eighties, drag meant trying to look as much like a woman as possible. This was a peak time for balls with categories like high fashion evening wear. These events became part of popular culture with the documentary Paris is Burning, and RuPaul alludes to that in all of her seasons. This documentary was incidentally the inspiration for Madonna's Vogue. Not long after, the Washington Post wrote about America's favorite drag queen. Can you guess who that
1: was? America's favorite drag queen? Mm -hmm. In the 80s. In the 80s. Ooh. I don't... The only drag queen I know is RuPaul. You
0: got it. Good job. Well, oh,
1: okay. <laughs> Wait, oh, for some reason I guess RuPaul is I'm sorry, Ru, a little older. Uh, so don't I don't let her
0: hear that. <laughs> yeah, I know,
1: I know. So I wasn't even uh thinking about like I wouldn't I didn't even think about her doing stuff until later on, but yeah, I guess in the 80s, mm-hmm. you know.
0: She was quite young then, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Question. I'm not 100% sure her Probably. age.
1: It looks great, but I would guess, based on the fact that she was doing that, maybe 50?
0: And then RuPaul became an international sensation with his hit song, Supermodel. In the 2000s, drag began to broaden its scope and went from rigidly being about realness to a more expansive art form for gay men, trans folks, queer women, and more. And in 2009, the first series of Drag Race aired. When? Sorry? 2009. Okay. Its mix of challenges, costume creation, skits, and impersonating has made it a must-see on TV. In fact, the show itself has influence on some of the language that we use in talking about drag. Some examples being shade, which is an insult either spoken or expressed through body language. To throw shade is to openly disparage someone whether or not
1: they are in your presence. That came from the show? Apparently. Weird. That's such a common term.
0: Yes. So that could be incorrect. I didn't study the linguistics of this word, but... Okay. Okay. <laughs> um and sickening to get your catwalk look just right you're so fabulous that your fellow queens are sick with envy after just one look at you and i just thought of this right now it probably didn't come from the show it was probably being used by drag queens at the time and then because they brought that language onto the show it became more popular mm. in everyday language that
1: would make, that would make sense yeah. yeah
0: drag race has introduced drag to a new generation and millions of viewers and has truly brought drag to the mainstream In 2017, Time Magazine went on to name RuPaul as one of the most 100 most influential people in the world, and I was like, yeah, absolutely he did. Today, drag has come to be a celebrated and important aspect of modern gay life. Many gay bars and clubs around the world hold drag shows as special parties. The culture has evolved with society in its own way and has developed its own language. No longer are drag queens hiding from ridicule, but are now celebrated for their individuality and uniqueness within the entertainment industry. So Dakota what do you think
1: i thought that was super interesting i uh one i i don't usually like being called upon by the teacher to answer a question in class (laughs) i was i was like i was like oh i don't know it but then i said rupaul and apparently i got it right so 10 points to gryffindor (laughs) i think that it's helpful well for for me to know like where the roots of the like where the stand-up comedy and acting and stuff like came into play i think that's Cool, and and also that it, it's been around for so much longer than I thought it had been. Yeah, like, all, all the way back in the 1930s. Well, even further than that. Right. So very cool. I will give this one eight point five Dragon Balls out of ten. What?
0: <laughs> That's cute. That's penny.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Because um, you
0: like Dragon Ball Z.
1: I do. I was actually, when I was first thinking about this, though, until I said this, I just got to break the barrier and and talk about this with the audience, is that I wasn't thinking about my favorite anime, Dragon Ball. I was thinking about Dragon Balls. (laughs) Like, you know. Of course you were. I was, and then as I said it, I am like, oh, wait, that's my favorite anime. That makes more sense. It is cuter than talking about Dragon Balls. Yes. So, anyways. Well, Are you hitting puberty now, too? (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) About damn time. (laughs)
0: Well, that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please download our podcast from Apple, Spotify or Google or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a review or really do please tell your friends about
1: us. And if you want to stay in contact or see behind-the-scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian. Or if you want to shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted, you can email us at TheReluctantHistorian at gmail.com.
0: So, we'll see you next week. Same time, same place.
1: And if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anyone else?
0: Can I get an amen and Rubal, please don't uh, sue us for copyright? Amen!